Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's the second episode of 2021 for the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, which must mean it's Wednesday, the pot of tea must be on the go, and we must be able to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the Naughty's and to the football of its time. This is episode 24. This is the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, and it has been 15 years since Emmanuel Adebayor signed for Arsenal. Not really loved from <laughs> by Arsenal fans anymore. We're also talking about France and the 2001-2 season in the table never lies. But first, we're going back to 1999, just shy of the noughties. But Bobby Robson's Newcastle was largely successful in the 2000s. So before we get into the correspondence from our listeners, we're going to take a little brief retrospective into Bobby Robson's career. He was born in County Durham. And his playing career saw him play over 600 club matches for the likes of Fulham and West Bromwich Albion, which included 20 caps for England in there as well. His England career, his major break would have been the 1962 World Cup, but injury forced him out of the majority of the tournament with his place in his team given to Bobby Moore. And obviously, as they say, the rest is history. In the late 1960s, Bobby Robson would hop over to Canada and to Vancouver Royals into a what he believed to be a player-manager role, with Frank Puskas managing the San Francisco side of things. But after dissatisfaction of the uh, joint control, where it, it turns out he wasn't really in control of anything, he moved back to England to kickstart his managerial career and to Fulham. But after less than a year at Craven Cottage, he went up to Ipswich and arguably his most successful time, obviously, before the likes of uh, Barcelona, England, etc. So he spent 13 and a half years at Ipswich. By today's standards, is absolutely a mammoth amount of time. And he won the Texaco Cup with them, the 1977 FA Cup and the Crown Jewel, which was, of course, a 1981 UEFA Cup at Ipswich. And so, as we all know, he stepped into the breach as a 
manager of the national team, the biggest job in the land, of course, and we all know the story from their semi-final in Italy, robbed by that rascal, as he called him, Diego Maradona in 1986 in the two World Cups in which he managed. He did try to resign after uh, failure to qualify for the European Championships in 1984 and the poor performance in 1988, naming uh, Brian Clough as his replacement both times, but... The FA didn't really, weren't too keen on Brian Clough, so relented with Bobby Robson. And of course, as we went into Italian 90, he was called a traitor and all these things. So after the treatment by the media, in which Robson gifted the nation a semi-final and they returned as heroes, he was still sort of lamented as a traitor, a treacherous figure. He spent the majority of the 90s abroad. So PSV, he won two league titles in two years. Sporting Lisbon, he spent 18 months there, didn't win any silverware, but remained in Portugal and stayed at Porto for two and a half years, winning two leagues and one cup. Went to Barcelona, won the Cup Winners' Cup, the Copa del Rey, and obviously at that time was uh, more well-known for Ronaldo with a, with that fantastic season in Barcelona. He was moved upstairs in favour of uh, Louis van Gaal. Um, Robson didn't like that, so he returned to PSV and he left after a year, returning home to the northeast of England, and that is where... We joined things in September 1999. After Rude Hullet was gone, Bobby Robson was named as a Newcastle manager. So Podfather Mag says, how can I not mention Bobby Robson's first home match in charge? Newcastle were bottom of the table against Sheffield Wednesday's second bottom. They won 8-0 and Shearer got 5. Robson obviously started his reign with defeat at Chelsea, but the first home match, 8-0, it's a staple of the old uh, Premier League years episode, I think. The uh, Rude Hullet and Shearer benching, which would uh, be... Hullet's downfall, then Shearer banged five beyond Sheffield Wednesday and then scored vital goals in wins against Middlesbrough and Derby, dragging Robson and Newcastle outside of the relegation zone. And after four losses from Hullet's first five games in the league that season, Robson would lose just six from the Derby game on from the remaining 26 matches. He stabilised them into 11th place with a semi-final of the FA Cup, strengthening with Olivia Bernard coming on a free that summer, who would become Newcastle's main left-back. Clarence Whirley says, Smashing teams early doors at St James's Park, which were his major memories. All out from the kick-off and be 2-0 up after 15 minutes. Bellamy and Shearer, great combo up front. Speed, Diet, Jenas and Robert in midfield. The last great Newcastle team destroyed by Sooness. Sooness's time probably... Most well known for that Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer scrap against Aston Villa where they were brought down to, might have been eight men after uh, Stephen Taylor's handball. I think that might that might be the same game. Anyway, 2000-2001, Robson retained 11th place for Newcastle, but the transition was in full effect. Shola Amayobi was coming through, Shearer returned to full fitness, and Bellamy and Jenis were the key signings going into the 2001-2 season, along with Laurent Robert. Meanwhile, the old guard of Warren Barton and Rob Lee, who played throughout Kevin Keegan's tenure where they got so close to the league title, they'd gone. And by Christmas Day 2001, Newcastle led the Premier League. And this was the original big six of Newcastle. Three points ahead of Liverpool and Arsenal at the turn of the year. Four ahead of Leeds and six ahead of Manchester United and Chelsea. No, none of that Manchester City and Tottenham bollocks. This was the original big six. Well if you don't count the big five that helped form the Premier League in 1992, but we'll get past that. Anyway, Bellamy was your typical harassing, haranguing bastard, defending from the front, pace to burn, sheer of the talisman, and Newcastle sort of marked their intentions for the upcoming season, right the way back in September 2001, beating the champions 4-3 at St. James's Park, which included that Roy Keane swipe at Alan Shearer. So they'd got the champions riled up 
both mentally and physically, and they overturned a deficit hybrid win 3-1 in December and then followed that up with a double over Leeds in December and January, 4-3 at Elland Road before winning 3-1 in January. They were simply irresistible. And approaching March, Arsenal was sort of, they'd rebounded and they were on a bit of a streak. Man United had bounced back from their early season slump, so it was almost a three-horse race. Liverpool sort of in and around the Champions League places too, but there was a week, the first week of March in 2002, Newcastle's title bid collapsed. They were two behind, two points behind Manchester United with a game in hand, so the the title was there to be taken, but they lost 2-0 at home to Arsenal, got smashed at Anfield, and suddenly the fourth behind Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United. Arsenal obviously rampaged to the title, and Newcastle would finish with four wins, four draws, and one defeat from the final nine games to keep Champions League football from Leeds, which would be their downfall after their semi-final and overreaching with their finances. And the double over Christmas between the two sides was the difference between Leeds's relegation and obviously financial doom going to the third tier by 2009 and um, staying in the Premier League and the Champions League. So within a year, Newcastle had established themselves. They got the quarterfinal in both cups, knocked out by Arsenal and Chelsea. So they were definitely there, there or thereabouts. And for the love of list podcasts, just simply tweets, Lauren Robert, rocket emoji. Obviously, that fanta- he had a fantastic left foot. Olivia Bernard found that out the, the worst possible way, firing point blank directly into his face and he's staggering around like he's gone 12 rounds with Tyson. <laughs> and, uh, but obviously, he scored some amazing goals for Newcastle, as did Bellamy and Shearer, who, for the love of this podcast, also states, Bellamy and Shearer, one of the toughest strike partnerships you could face. They had everything. And I historically, I tend to think that 2001-2 was Newcastle's best season, but 2002-3 brought about another title challenge and their best finish since the days of Keegan, finishing third, something they've not achieved obviously since, and obviously Champions League football. But the title challenge fell apart again in March. They lost to Everton and then shipped six at home to to United, Man United that is. And those 11 goals shipped at home and away against Manchester United really was the difference between a great, great title win inside of Man United and the Arsenal before that and Newcastle who were definitely an established Champions League team by this point but couldn't do it for like a decade like Arsenal, United and as we're seeing now Man City, Chelsea etc etc. So as we said Champions League football came to St James's Park for the first time since the late 90s and after three losses it looked as though Newcastle heading out at the first group stages. They wouldn't even get a UEFA Cup spot. But somehow they qualified. They beat Juventus, they beat Dynamo Kiev, and then they had to go to Rotterdam to play Feyenoord. They'd gone 2-0 ahead, but Feyenoord dragged them back 2-all. And then Craig Bellamy, in one of the greatest modern Newcastle United moments, I'm talking post, like, 1960s, 1970s, tapped it in, 90th minute, Newcastle won 3-2, and they were through to the second group stage. But unfortunately... The second group stage they faced Inter Milan, Barcelona and the 2002 finalist Leverkusen. Leverkusen knew they picked both of their wins up of in this group stage, but the seven points wasn't enough. Newcastle were out and they would bow out on penalties uh, the following season in qualification to Partizan Belgrade. And uh, thanks to one win from the final six in the league in 2004, surrendered Champions League football and unfortunately they've not been back since. Robson left that summer and Newcastle's 
European exploits since have been UEFA Cup and Europa League under Souness, where they got to the semi-final, being beaten by Marseille and Didier Drogba, and that Alan Pardew run where they got to, I think, the quarterfinals against Sporting Lisbon, and that's all they've got to show for the previous, for the next, what, 18, 19 years. So, Robson delivering, outside of Kevin Keegan, the best bit of football that Newcastle have seen since, you know, the likes of... Jackie Milburn and the 1950s teams that won the FA Cup and obviously the teams interwar which won league titles and FA Cups. After this break, after this short, short break, we'll be talking about Emmanuel Adebayor at Arsenal. As 15 years ago today, he signed from Monaco. We're back and we're going to North London now, from the northeast of England to the North London. And 15 years ago, Emmanuel Adebayor, the Togolese forward, signed from Monaco and Arsenal were preparing a future without Dennis Bergkamp, who was to retire that summer and little did they know it, without Thierry Henry, who would leave the following summer. They'd sold Patrick Vieira the previous summer and so there was definite hints of a regeneration from Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. Walcott would sign the following week, which we'll be talking about next week, and Bentner came in during the summer, so... Arsene Wenger is definitely looking to young attacking players as the likes of Aaron Ramsey would also come in. Cesc Fabregas came in a few years before that and was now well established and looked to be taking on the Patrick Vieira role. Reyes and Van Persie were also young forwards at the club and it looked as though Arsenal would retain this success from the FA Cup win in 2005, the Invincibles of 2004, obviously. But as we now know, they went nine years without any former trophy. They're still hunting for that elusive 14th league title which they're now waiting 17 years probably 18 years because they're not going to win it this season are they anyway I took to Twitter and this is what we got from Adebayor's illustrious career at Arsenal for the love of list podcast says his headbutt on Bentner when both were playing for Arsenal is another highlight and that's it so it hardly uh, shines him in the best light does it Arsenal were uh, looking to reach a second league cup final in a row when this incident occurred but ended up losing 5-1 to Tottenham. Probably the most humiliating defeat they've suffered at the hands of their North London rivals in recent memory. Spurs obviously would go on to win the trophy, their last trophy, um, maybe up until this year because the year ends in one and they're in the League Cup final again. So it's all come for full cycle. So Adebayor nutted Bentner, made him bleed from his nose. Spurs won the League Cup. Arsenal had to wait until 2014 for a trophy. Perhaps I'm thinking that Adebayor was the right player maybe at the wrong period in time. Perhaps he would have suited the 90s team a lot more, sort of in between George Graham and Arsene Wenger. Or maybe even now, when um, Arsenal need a, more of a focal point up front, if they're going to play Aubameyang out on the left. Because Lacazette, um, he's got, I think he's got the best goals-to-minutes ratio in the Premier League, but whenever I've seen him, it, I, I, something about him that he's, he's just not, a level above Adebayor obviously is shown that he wasn't at the level above either so and Clarence Worley concurs just a really good centre forward not great but definitely really good and this is true as well I have to admit he's never got a goal every other game for a club in all of his career he had one season though that I call him great um 2007-8 in his second full season at Arsenal he's got 30 goals so Lacazette hasn't done that at Arsenal I don't believe and this was in a probably a stronger team, we've got to admit. 
Um, but even then at Spurs, Man City, Real, Palace and later on in Turkey and Paraguay has just been quote unquote good. Um, I think he did have all the technical abilities to become a great centre forward. He got pace, he can hold up, supply out wide, drift into the channels, great finisher. Um, he definitely proved his pace in a Premier League moment that was the first on many minds in the replies on my Twitter account. Um, Podfather Mag says, obviously the first thing to come to mind was sprinting the full length of the pitch to the knee slide in front of Arsenal fans who were absolutely baying for his blood. But for me, it was the ridiculousness of the salute celebration with Tim Sherwood. So let's get to the uh, <laughs> Adebayor versus Arsenal, Man City. He only played 45 games for Man City, signing straight from Arsenal to City, which would become a well-trodden path, Nazri, Sagna, cliche. And most notoriously of all, Adebayor, he uh, scored a header, which, you know against his former club, which, you know, vindicated for all uh, for them selling him. He could have just celebrated with his own fans, but no. He runs, sprints the whole hundred yards in front of the fans. We all know the picture. He's sprinting, arms out, and he, on his knees. A stool goes over, and Arsenal fans look as though they'd, if, they'd, if they would have climbed over, over the stewards, they would have killed him. Um, he pissed off Arsenal fans then, and he pissed off Arsenal fans by signing for Spurs and actually playing quite well. And I tend to think Adebayor first and foremost at Arsenal. Um, I first remember his goal at Old Trafford in September 2006 as a Man United fan, which up until recently was their their last win at Old Trafford until uh, Aubameyang's penalty um, in October or November this past year gone. Um, however, he did play for Spurs for a longer period of time. Obviously, didn't score the amount of goals, didn't play the amount of games or play much uh, Champions League football in that time but it did include a 2011-2012 season where he did rattle in 17 Premier League goals however at the time that same season Robin Van Persie was bagging 30 at the Emirates um, I, it is a big what if what if they kept Adebayar they could have gone two up top back to the Bergkamp and on readers of like one behind the other um, with the midfield they had at that time Fabregas Song, Ramsey, Diaby, they could have done some good things. Uh, Walcott coming from the wide, of course. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show that Adebayor, is, he was a class centre forward at times in shorts, short bursts and he would play in a World Cup for his nation, Togo, dragged them to that World Cup with 11 goals in qualification, which is something that we shouldn't really forget alongside his fabled time at Real Madrid. He would all... Play almost 600 club games. He's without a club at the moment. I don't know if he's retired officially. He played his last previous club was uh, Olympia in Paraguay. Um, he will be remembered, of course, for his notorious celebration against Arsenal. The salute with Tim Sherwood and his time at Arsenal um, and the odd seasons where he was one of the best Premier League goal scorers and was seemingly unstoppable. He had it all. Um, he just didn't break through that ceiling of class, world-class centre-forwards in the Premier League and effectively didn't win anything, unfortunately, in a time where Arsenal were sort of come out of a fantastic period with Wenger, the second sort of part of his tenure where he was winless. He built a fantastic team and that 2010 team with Nasri, Song, Fabregas, Ramsey, Diaby, Walcott, Van Persie, it is one of the great Premier League teams to not win the trophy um, alongside like so Liverpool in 2014, Newcastle in 1996. Adebayo was a part of that and he was banging in goals left, right and centre. 
but he's always a bit of a lingering sort of like what if that always surrounds him. And when he got a transfer at Man City, I I thought initially that he would be their guy. Um, obviously he wouldn't, and that that onus would go to Sergio Aguero a couple of seasons later, who has since broken the Man City club record. Now, I'm not saying for a second that Adebayo, or I thought that Adebayo was going to break the Man City club goal club record, but he could have been something great for a team that were on the up as Arsenal were on the downslope. Arsenal, of course, famous for playing fielding French players, and the table never lies, and we'll be going to France after this short break. Welcome back, or should I say bienvenue, because we are in France and we are in January 2002. And this is how the table looked in Ligue 1 this time 19 years ago. And since Marseille's demotion in 1993, it was a free-for-all. The league was an utter free-for-all. PSG won it in 1994, Auxerre won it in 96, Lons won it in 98, Bordeaux won it in 99. And the only two teams to win it multiple times were Nantes in 1995 and 2001, the reigning champions, and Monaco in 97 and 2000. That free-for-all, though, was about to end. So our first correspondence today, of course, lands with the Naylor men, who are top 19 years ago today. Michael Jones says that excellent RC Lons team with a Senegalese core to it. So the recently departed Papa Diop only played five times for the club, but he would be a regular before moving to Fulham in 2004. Of course, scored Senegal's. First ever World Cup goal against France in that magical win later on in the summer. Um, he would be one of Senegal's most important players alongside El Hajj Jouf, who also played for Lonzi. Uh, Jouf was a reigning African footballer of the year and alleged sewer rat, if you listen to Neil Warnock. He's got 10 in 27 for Lonzi, 11 in 10 for Senegal the year previous. And he also had Ferdinand Collie and Papi Sarr. Collie centre-half, Sarr and midfielder. All four of those would feature for Senegal at the AFCON in January later on this month, 19 years ago today, where the uh, finished runners-up to the Cameroon side, losing on penalties, and then would go into the, their first ever World Cup, finishing as quarter-finalists, unfortunately losing to Turkey after a golden goal. That damn golden goal. Anyway, there was a big African contingent in the Lons team. Charles Intonje, the goalkeeper of Hillsborough Memorial fame, would become a fixture in the Lons team the following season, whilst the likes of Adam Koulibaly, Dauda Jabi, and Jimmy Traore was at the back. Lons only had four survivors from the 1997-98 league winning team, and it was a very different look to it. The 98 winning team was all mainly all French team, and this had a more... African feel about it and they ran Leon, the eventual champions close but first let's look at sort of the best of the rest and the top scorers in this season, Gibril Cisse of Auxerre and Pauletta of Bordeaux with 22, both fighting for the Champions League which Auxerre won and Bordeaux would drop into the UEFA Cup. Sonny Anderson top scored for the Champions Leon with 14 of Barcelona fame and Jean-Claude Darcheville top scored for Lorient with 19 of Nottingham Forest fame he went down with Forrest in 1999. He went down here, but he would end the season with a trophy. With Lorient marooned in last, they would still win the Coupe de France and play in the UEFA Cup the following season. The title, of course, would be won by a team that hadn't won it previously, like Lons in 1998. And But going into the final day, Lons led Lyon 64 points to 63. In shades of Anfield 89, the final, t- the final game was between the top two, 
Leon and Lons. Lons avoided defeat, they would be champions again. Leon win, they would be the first time champions. Before we get to the game, let's talk of Leon. Of course, the seven time champions now and a regular Champions League team. But in 1950, they played their first official match. The following year, they were promoted to the first tier for the first time. They won the Coupe de France in 1964 for the first time, beating Bordeaux 2-0 and followed that up with a second in 1967 and a third in 1973. They got past the first round in Europe for the first time in 1964, where they were dumped out of the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final to Sporting Lisbon after three legs. A takeover from Jean-Michel Ola in 1987 brought about a tide of change for Lyon as Raymond Dominic was named the new manager. They got back into the top tier and a decade later, they were rewarded with the Intertoto Cup and two years on, a first attempt at the Champions League where they would get knocked out by Maribor in the qualification, home and away without scoring a goal. In 2001, they won the first Coupe de la Ligue win, um, winning that for the first time and reached the second group stage in their first ever proper Champions League campaign. They would, dip into the champ- they would dip into the UEFA Cup from the Champions League this season in 2002 and the following season in 2003, but had a very, very strong team, or the beginnings of a very strong team. Gregory Coupe and Net Ed Mielsen in defence, Juninho, the free-kick god um, in midfield, and Sidney Govu up front alongside Sonny Anderson. And in the quote-unquote Anfield 89 match, the Leon 0-2 match, Leon blew Lons away inside 14 minutes, 2-0 and would secure a 3-1 win and they established themselves with this team winning seven league titles in a row. They had the likes of Mamadou Diara, Michael Essien, Florent Malouda, Eric Abidal, Chris Karim Benzema, Will Tor, Fred, Jeremy Tulalan, Sebastian Scolacci, Milan Barros, Thiago and Kim Kallström. They were established in Europe as well. They got to the quarterfinals three years in succession 04, 05 and 06, followed that up with three years going out in the last 16, 07, 08, 09, and got to the semi-final in 2010, replicating that a decade on, and are now one of the biggest clubs in French football, and currently lead French football's first division, behind PSG, who are now, obviously, as we all know, the all-domineering force in France, but it wasn't that way for a long time, and unlike PSG, Lyon have had a longer sustained run at the top in the 2000s with seven league titles in a row. PSG haven't been able to do that, of course, with that uh, little blip in 2017 when the likes of Mbappe and Monaco rode to the league title in the Champions League semi-finals. Of course, we haven't had, we still haven't had a Champions League winner since Marseille when they won in 1993, which now feels like inauspicious circumstances when you consider the match-fixing scandal. After this short break, we'll finish things off with a 2000s trivial teaser. Welcome back. So last week we had a centre forward and three of our listeners got it correctly. For the love of this podcast, Mark Byrne and Maracas Flute, special shout outs to you guys. It was of course Marcus Bent, centre forward, managed by Ian Dowie, Neil Warnock, played alongside Phil Neville, Damien Duff, David Dunn, Brad Friedel and Dennis Romadal. Romadali played with at Charlton, Friedel, Duff and Dunn, he played with at Blackburn, and Phil Neville, of course, played with at Everton. So, remaining up front, our 2000 trivial teaser today is a centre-forward. He's been managed by Bob Bradley and Marcelo Bielsa. So, eclectic there. Wayne Routledge is played alongside, he's played alongside Ander Herrera, 
Angel Rangel, Jan Vertonghen and Paul Pogba. Wayne Routledge, Ander Herrera, Angel Rangel, Jan Vertonghen and Paul Pogba. If you think they're an answer, tweet us at whatif underscore YouTube. Got it right this week. Um, leave it in the comments section or just shout at me in the street if you recognise my voice in West Yorkshire. So we'll be back next week with a 2000s trivial teaser. Also, we've got next week on the podcast, the best FA Cup shocks. We're going to take a look at Theo Walcott's time at Arsenal and we're going back home to the table never lies and the Premier League in the 2002 Three season. Elsewhere on the channel, we'll be taking a look at Wolves, England, Franz Beckenbauer, David Beckham, Roman Abramovich, Bradford City, the 50 best clubs in world football, and Luis Suarez. So, big week on the channel this week at what if underscore YouTube. Let us know the trivial teaser answer. Give us some memories of Emmanuel Adebayor at Arsenal or not. Newcastle and Bobby Robson's time at the club in the early 2000s and where do you think they'll end up this season my bet is probably around 13th as always I will see you next week for episode 25this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.